This week's episode is sponsored by Visual Media Church. Visual Media Church is one of the fastest growing church media companies creating worship backgrounds, social media posts, stock video, stock photography, and templates for all your media needs. Go to visualmediachurch.com to sign up today, and when you do, use promo code CREATIVECHURCH to get 20% off all their memberships. That's CRTV Church for 20% off. Go and sign up today. Conversations like this with ourselves and with God should not be based in fear, but they are uh, because we don't know how else to have them. Hey, creators, welcome to the Creative Church Podcast, where each week we talk about the latest in Christian creative culture and explore the lives of prominent creatives. My name is Nick Gunner, and joining me today is the host of the newly released Becoming Me podcast, Emily Cummins. Y'all, I'm so excited. I can't even contain it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and to her digital right, my left, Ross Montgomery. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so um, for listeners that don't understand what's going on, we have a very unique next couple of shows for everyone um for those who don't know we typically record on mondays and then we release on like thursdays and fridays however due to easter we're recording two shows right back to back for the next couple weeks which is going to be for some amazing concentrated front matter from us Um, but don't worry we have some amazing shows and some amazing interviews planned for you listeners uh real quick emily and ross how are you guys doing for easter I feel like Emily should go first. Here. Yeah, <laughs> Emily should go. Other first. than failing to get Peeps Oreos at the Easter planning oh meeting. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm just failing so many ways because I ate all the Peep Oreos oh, and didn't well, share see. them. Okay, but uh, so you've redeemed you... yourself. Real, real quick, Emily, are you just in a sanctuary right now, just in <laughs> no. the biggest room you could possibly find? So here's the deal, guys. It is as you shared the week of Easter. And that being said, we're preparing our campus for Easter Sunday. And with that comes things like carpet cleanings and all of that fun stuff. So while every room is being cleaned, this is the quietest room I could find on our entire campus. <laughs> and for listeners listening going, that is not the quietest room in the world. You're right. Yeah. You're yes, absolutely correct. right. Yes. So I apologize, was but this... our carpets thank you for being cleaned. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Was this the only room you could find? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so as I was telling Nick and Ross uh, earlier today, we have a couple rooms in somewhat of an attic kind of area at Church of Hope, which are great. They're really quiet. However, um, in my role as executive director, I have learned a lot of things. But the last two weeks, I've learned a lot about bats, like the animal, the bats, more than I've ever wanted to know in my life. Um, but it's bat season in Florida, and uh, there's actually a law that if you, between April 1st and I believe it's October, see a bat in your house or your building, you're not allowed to like remove it because it's in its like mating season or whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you That's, have to that leave is something it. something I did not know. Right? So I, we, I, my team saw a bat in our campus and we've had to over the last two weeks go through the steps to get them removed, which we are safe. So if you're listening to this and thinking about coming to Church of Hope, 
definitely join us. We're bat free and have clean carpets. And it's make awesome. sure you watch that episode of The Office before you go yeah. so you know how to handle bat removal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about our attic after seeing a bat. I just couldn't I do just, it. I just feel like for the sake of this show, you should have been in the bat room nope. like the entire time. And we should that, that should have been like the game. How long can Emily oh, last no. in that room? I literally would have probably started screaming, crying, <laughs> or, or and then just... When I, when I was very young, uh, growing up in my town of like 4,000 in Kansas, we had a very rundown theater. It was the only theater in town. And uh, amazing, comfortable seats, because they'd been there for years and years. An amazing leg room. But while you were watching the show, occasionally... The silhouettes of bats would go back and forth across no. the screen while no. you're watching. No. And I had I had one no. I had one graze my head while I was watching a movie there. No. 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 Yeah, <laughs> oh no. See, what I've gone through is nothing compared to that. Like one bat compared to that. No. No. Uh, oh yeah, there was multiple bats uh, flying around. whenever I lived in Tulsa and I was going to college, um, we had these tunnels that you can go into. Like they were underground. I don't know exactly why they had these tunnels, but you could go Inspired into Inspired by Disney? Uh, yeah, I guess so. And it was underneath the, you know, in Tulsa and stuff, and they had these tunnels. So you can go into them. And, um, and one time we're down there, it's real dark. And I'm very tall, so my head's like touching the tunnel, the top of the tunnel. And the next thing I know is, you know, because we have these flashlights, you can only see like two or three feet in front of you. Next thing I know, there's just bat coming towards my head. And I'm a big guy. I got down. I dropped it low quick. No. I, I was on the ground and I was screaming at my friends. I, it's not a very proud moment for me, but I was screaming. Oh my like, goodness. Like a child, just please get me out of here. And I crawled all the way out of the tunnel back to the, oh. to the entrance. I was so scared. So scared. So I do not, I do not no. care for bats. Yeah, I don't, I don't have that aversion to them, but yeah. No, no, no. Recently, just... recently our oldest has been wanting to watch. Uh, she watched like Wild Kratts and those kind of shows on TV mm -hmm. and Planet Earth and everything. And she's like, can we look up bat babies on on uh, YouTube? And so we're like watching these little like how they wrap them up like burritos. And she thinks they're the cutest thing now. Oh, my Ooh. goodness. No. No. Uh, can I just say I am so happy that my team is awesome and the bat problem is gone. There you that go. is yes, a, you a, a good ending. Yes. Give a shout out to your team. 100%. Okay. So, like I said, listeners, this is a very unique show. The audio quality for this show is going to be very, very raw. Because, like, I'm leaving for an event in, like, two days. So, it's not going to get the same finessing in the editing that we normally get. So, it's like a, it's almost like a live show, guys. Ooh, <laughs> We're we almost doing a live show. This is Woo. That's kind of nerve-wracking. Um, so, no, <laughs> Ross, please don't cuss. I'm, I'm not going to have time to edit all that out. Oh, man. Yeah, you usually have to cut, like, at least 15 minutes. Emily, <laughs> Emily no derogatory slang either. Mm -hmm. Please, please. Oh, my goodness, guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> not, not only is Easter happening, but, Emily, your new podcast uh, is coming to the Great yes. Podcast Network. Uh, <laughs> this week. And, uh, well, actually, no, excuse me. It releases uh, today. It'll already be up once we release this episode. Uh, so let me ask, how are you feeling about that? I'm so excited. Like, I don't even think you can capture how excited I am. Um, I've been counting down for this. <laughs> As I shared with Nick, like when he first asked me um, to host this podcast, this is a dream come true for me. So to see this become a reality this week, I mean, I can't even put words to it. I've had so much fun 
putting together this first uh, couple batches of interviews, and I just can't wait to do more. I'm pumped. Yeah, awesome. I, I got interviewed for it. Um, yes, you did. Listeners, Ooh. I did not ask to be interviewed. Let's just... <laughs> Let's just put that out there right now. Emily, Emily is a is Emily, the executive producer of it. Yeah, <laughs> she asked me. I did not ask to be interviewed, but uh, we did. My me and wife got interviewed for a creative church, and it was it was fun, uh, a lot of fun actually. But um, creative church is uh is expanding. We're doing a couple new things. We got the creative church podcast network. Earlier this year, we kind of did the creative church state of creative church. So I thought it'd be good to kind of give everyone an update. Now that Emily's podcast is releasing, we got another podcast coming to the network. I thought it'd be real good to do a quick update of kind of what's going on around here at Creative Church. You guys good with that? Yes. Love it. You guys don't have any. You can't You can't say no. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's already in also the notes. Also true. <laughs> it's already in the notes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so first thing, I want to share two big things that uh, we're kind of doing over the next uh, few weeks uh, here at Creative Church. So first is this. Over the past few years, I've had a real hard time kind of defining uh, what Creative Church is, and it's kind of shown in some of the projects we tried. Uh, but over this past three months, it kind of started back whenever we did the first state of Creative Church. I kind of laid down that foundation, and now I'm like, okay, we got it. We got a clear direction. So we kind of changed the mission statement for Creative Church to kind of reflect all of the new stuff that we're doing. So we believe that Creative Church is a platform that's blending traditional online publications with uh, the vibrancy of an online community. Uh, we're dedicated to covering the latest in Christian creative culture and exploring the lives of prominent creatives. Uh, we seek to discover how innovation and creativity affect faith and culture while bringing creatives together around shared passions, conversations, and ideas. This is the uh, this is becoming the long version of our pur platform's purpose. So uh, with that, I want to let you know what's uh, coming to the website content-wise. The Creative Church Podcast Network has been uh, been worked on since October. Now, we had this show. Remember this show? Okay, this is an important one. Then we Literally had, the one you are listening yeah, to Yeah, the now. one you're listening to yes. right now. Yeah. Uh, that's that's one, okay? Then we had the second show, which was the Pop Culturist, which is off right now. It's off season. Uh, but it was, a, it was a show. It ran for a season. Now it's going to be coming back on... At the end of May. April. At the end of April. That's oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, end of April, beginning of May-ish. Beginning um, of May, right there. It'll, it'll be coming around the Avengers Infinity War... Uh, release date yeah. so yeah so what we'll do is we're gonna we're gonna say it's gonna be may 4th then we're gonna push it back to april 27th that's what we're gonna do for those that watch closely <laughs> to the marvel that's marketing. around my birthday guys well, i love it you're getting a podcast for your birthday yes. too emily <laughs> congratulations thank you guys <laughs> um so the pop culture is it's really it's it's currently on hiatus but um it's prepping for season two. The pop culture discusses the broad themes, small details, and ridiculous theories from pop culture's past, present, and future. And they're bringing all new episodes at the first week of May. The third podcast that's going to come to the Creative Church Podcast Network is called the Becoming Me Podcast. Yes. <laughs> We're uh, you, you may you may have heard of this one. We're proud to be partnering with <laughs> Emily Cummins. You may know who she is. Um, who. You've all really gotten to know over the past few weeks here on the Creative Church podcast. Uh, you might not know this, but she loves Oreos. Um, <laughs> just, a just a little bit. I mean, you know. She also has her own platform called Becoming Me. And uh, this new podcast is going to be encouraging people to become who they are and who God created them to be. Excuse me. She's also been interviewing people for several weeks now. And uh, she's going to be bringing a fresh batch of interviews, or excuse me, fresh batch of Becoming Me stories to the Creative Church Podcast Network. And they'll be deb debuting today today with this podcast you can search becoming me and it'll be right there um i, I think i psyched myself out whenever i said well, this is a live show so now i'm just nervous <laughs> no. i don't know why like Thank i'm just sitting time. here like oh god i'm, I'm not gonna no, 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 you know um so anyway 
the next podcast is releasing. So we have one, two, three podcasts right now. We got a fourth one coming, and that's going to be releasing uh, the first week of April, and it's called I Cry in Corners. Uh, it's another show that we're premiering in just a couple weeks. Uh, I Cry in Corner is designed uh, to encourage people navigating leadership, ministry, creativity, and all those awkward life stuff things in the middle. Uh, it'll be hosted by Chari Ojo, who you might remember as uh, a podcast guest here a few weeks ago. And if you're at Creative Huddles here in Orlando, you remember her. She was one of the speakers. She's going to be hosting this new podcast. And it is, guys, it is very amazing. Excited. Oh, her uh, interview was listen, incredible. So Yes. Listen to the first episode this week. And, oh, my gosh, I was blown away. It was awesome. Uh, the last show that we're adding here in the next few weeks is called Creative Minutes. Um, we kind of promoted this back in February, but due to time constraints and things and uh, a couple of events and uh, life events that happened with me, I couldn't get all the episodes recorded. So uh, Creative Minutes is a semi-daily show with practical approaches to grow healthy, God-centered churches, organizations. And the show is interesting because it's literally 8 to 12 minutes and uh, it's tackling a gambit of information. It's also hosted by myself. So there you have it. That's what we're going to be doing with the Creative Church. It's uh, like five, it's five, yeah, I know five podcasts. I know I'm excited. Um, yes, people, people it's like awesome. podcasts though. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's yeah. a great variety of topics too. That's going to be covered. So, yeah, we exciting. try. We try not to repeat ourselves every time. <laughs> we did. We my my original idea was just have Creative Church podcast one, Creative Church podcast two, <laughs> yeah. Creative Church Perfect. podcast three, Creative, Creative Church podcast underscore final, final, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, designers would have got what that meant, and they would have really been attached to the show. I feel like they'd have really been attached to the show. Um, now, like I said, we're going to be moving a little bit faster this week, a little bit more rough than uh, typical uh, shows, but uh, that's all because of Easter. Uh, however, we do have a great show planned for everyone today. Later on, we'll be joined by Audrey Assad, who many of you know is a talented singer, songwriter, and author. She's here today to talk about her latest album, Evergreen. Up next is Trending, Emily is there music in the background? <laughs> yes, guys. <laughs> oh, I'm <gosh>. sorry. <laughs> She's giving us her own background track. <laughs> okay. That's so funny. Oh, man, this is funny. Like I said, you're getting a full experience of a live <laughs> show this week. Up next is Trending. <laughs> week we dive into the last week's headlines the ones that are important to us and that we feel is impacting culture church or creators and we discuss it um welcome to training everyone emily what do you got for us this week okay so last week cross point church nashville released their latest song living hope on their facebook page have you guys heard this yet yeah no oh my goodness nick you need to get on it ross what did you think um well of course i'm looking at like the set design and yeah. the videography of it. Okay, song was great. Um, and then just how they kind of set it up and made it this intimate thing. And then also, you know, kind of what they were doing with it uh, was was really cool. And I think it just was this incredible little online experience that you have with this song. But yeah, you're probably going to dig into all that right here. So not only do I love the lyrics, uh, but Ross, as you, you know, alluded to, I also love the heart behind the early release. Um, so the fact that they released it on their Facebook page, they wanted to leverage the new song as both an invite tool and an opportunity for people to actually learn the song. Like so many times we launch new creative things on the weekend 
and they're new and they're awesome. But then we forget we live in this land and people don't know the lyrics or the <laughs> words just yeah. yet. And so the fact that they wanted people to really know the lyrics that way on Easter, they could come and declare it and sing it with them, like that Jesus is our living hope. I thought that was really, really cool um, and leveraging it as an invite. So I thought well done to the Crosspoint team um, and you all should check out the entire song. Yeah, because I love how they made it like a corporate worship experience in the yeah. video. And then that, I think that's a great way to kind of tease the corporate experience they'll have on Easter as well. Kind of like we get to sing this together live, which everybody knows, you know, as far as I'm concerned anyway, live usually tends to have a whole different heart and feel to it. Totally. I mean, I, like I said, I haven't heard the song, but um, I know that anything the Crosspoint team puts out is going to be awesome. Ross, what do you got for us? Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> I know as a as a creator, um, you know, I've had people that I've looked up to uh, kind of online and, and, you know, read articles from, saw what they were doing. Um, and I came across this article called 40 Questions to Ask a Mentor, um, which is great because if you're, you know, in a role where you report to um, someone that's leading you, it's great to maybe approach them if you want to consider them a mentor or someone that's in the industry that you have a contact with. Um, I know there's some stories of people approaching uh, people they look up to, um, you know, they've been following them on social media, following their blog, whatever, and they reach out and then those people kind of do a little bit of mentoring with them, which is great. Um, but this was an incredible way, I think, to kind of construct some questions that are general enough, but help you set specific goals. And um, they kind of break it into some different um, areas of uh, talking with your mentor. So like the first section is like stories, like talking with them, not only like, how did you get where you are today, which is a great one, but like, how did you learn to embrace risk taking? Um, tell me about a, a setback and how did you recover? Um, how have you evolved in your career and how your skill and everything is in the last five years? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and then goes into like situations like, I'm, I need to be more strategic with stuff. What does that mean? Or how can I let my boss know that I don't need to be micromanaged, you know, and some different things like that. And then I think one of the biggest things, uh, especially for me, and I think creators and those in ministry can kind of have a harder time with this, is questions that really deal with self-awareness. Um, you know, because you have to look at it, especially if you're looking at someone that's leading you or a place that's hired you and you're there for a reason, you know, that you, you're, they want to pour into you. They want to help you out, um, is to look for, for constructive critique, not criticism saying that you're doing anything wrong, but to really kind of like be self-aware and, and see yourself as others view you. And I, I just love some of these questions because you have to take it and have that view of yourself of like, know that what they're saying doesn't mean you're wrong in what you're doing. They're trying to help you build and get better and all that. So there's questions like, um, how am I viewed? In other words, what's my personal brand in our organization? Um, where do you see my strengths? What do you see as some of my blind spots and how can I improve? How am I viewed by leadership? Uh, and then a bunch of other questions. And, and you know, that can be like, I think nerve wracking to approach someone and ask those things. But to be honest, I think we have to embrace that so that we can get better and know that they're coming from a place of loving us and wanting to help. Have any of you ever had to kind of approach some of those things as you're 
talk to mentors or as you develop as, as leaders? When you uh, first brought up this conversation, Ross, on questions to ask a mentor, like this is literally how my journey with Jenny Katrin began. Um, I yeah. found her, I emailed her a list of questions. Um, I was a high school student at the time. That's when she was the executive director at Crosspoint. And she emailed me back. She answered all of my questions. Um, and then when I met with her in person for the first time, um, I had a list of questions written out. Many were similar to even what you've just described on this list. And she walked through them with me um, question by question. Now um, I bring a lot of those questions to who I you know, report to at my church, um, our lead pastor. And I'll ask him, you know, how, what are the, the tough spots about Emily or like, what are my blind spots in my leadership? And they're not fun to ask, but I need <laughs> to ask them for that self-awareness piece that you shared. Cause if I'm not aware of how I'm leading, like I could be sinking the ship entirely just by that lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, I'm getting anxiety just thinking about asking. <laughs> um, so I'm just over here like, Oh God, I don't think me. I don't, you know, that's a, that's a very tough, question mm -hmm. to ask anybody you know hey uh, critique me or hey uh you know evaluate me yeah um but i know i know the benefit of it um i i can't say that i've ever been in a situation where i've asked someone that um i have before uh once but it, it didn't go very well so yeah. um, can totally uh, get how that would yeah. cause so you it to kind be of shy backfired about that. so yeah. i didn't uh didn't didn't really like it but uh yeah, yeah so I, I do still think that those questions are important for anyone to ask. I mean, and... you definitely want to go to someone you trust. I oh, think yeah. would be the first right. thing because then you'll know, like, I'm, I'm approaching this as an opportunity to, you know, personally and uh, career-wise grow, you right. know, and, and right. kind of just do that. Yeah, yeah you got to go to someone you definitely trust. Let me ask you guys this: What is some of the best advice you've received from a mentor, or you know, from someone who you know might be leading you? One of the best things that Jenny told me um, was that when she was early on in her career, she had this little red journal and she would write down her interactions with whoever she was leading at the time, uh, or not leading, excuse me, but whoever she was learning from, direct reporting to, stuff that she loved, stuff that she didn't super love about how they led. And she just made notes so that way someday when she was in the role, and in that seat, she could look back on how it felt to be, you know, managed by someone else. Um, and so she, when she was the executive director at Crosspoint, went back to that little red journal. So a couple of years ago, I started the same thing. And now I'm in that seat and I'm referencing my notes and how it felt to have a direct report respond in certain ways or not respond in certain ways. And that's been a huge help. Yeah. I, a few years ago, I had... And I can't even remember where it came from, so I wish I could attribute this properly, but it, it's come in a bunch of different um, uh, outlets that I've seen uh, across the, the years. But um, it's pretty much just be who you wanted when you were younger. And I take that as like when I started out my career, man, I was I was looking up, looking up, looking up. Um, and, you know, now as I kind of step into different roles and kind of move up in responsibilities and everything, I do have to start looking not down in a negative way, but you know, I, I'm, I'm over teams and, and different things like that. And so uh, thinking about how I'm communicating and looking kind of at this situation and, you know, I'm like, man, what, what would I have wanted if I, you know, if, if I were telling myself someone that's just starting in a career in this, 
what would I tell them, you know, that I wanted to know when I started? Yeah, mine, mine, I was thinking, uh, and it was so many years ago. And I, like I said, I don't remember who it was, but I remember someone telling me and I, it, recently, Carlos Whitaker said it on our podcast, but just take and mark out three times, four times a day and write down new ideas. And I've been doing that for, gosh, several years now. Some days I don't get three or four ideas. Sometimes I get one. Sometimes I get half of one. But uh, <laughs> uh, those those ideas are some of the best things that we've been able to do. You know, like we just started devotionals on the Creative Church um, email list. Like every day we're emailing a devotional. Which are great, by the way. Yeah, uh, we've getting, been getting a lot of feedback and people really like them. You know, I haven't written one for real uh, yet. I've been just recycling the ideas that I've had in this journal for so long. Oh, wow. And that's because I've, I've been sitting here for, for the past five years with these different ideas and these different notes that I've been taking over, over this time. And uh, it's all because someone dropped that in me. So I think every single one of these, if you're listening, pick those up. And uh, you don't have to attribute us five years from now, but whenever you're super successful, make sure you, <laughs> make, <laughs> make sure you smile back and look on us. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Next up is our interview with Padre Sal. This week's featured interview is with Audrey Assad. Audrey is an award-winning singer, songwriter, and author who recently released a new album called Evergreen. This year, after a five-year hiatus, Evergreen reflects how the singer's faith has evolved in her time outside of the studio. Here's part of our conversation with Audrey. So, when you set out to make Evergreen the album, um, a journey for the listener to tell a little bit of your story... Um, could you walk me through a little bit what, what began that journey? Well, <laughs> uh, I don't totally know the answer to that. I mean, <laughs> it's not that black and white, but I, I do remember a point um, when, probably about, probably about three years ago, I wrote an email, a desperate email to my friend Daniel in Milwaukee, who is an agnostic, or more of an atheist, but in, in, a, in a non-fundamentalist kind of way. You know, he's sort of like, I can't prove there's no God, but I can't prove there is one. And I don't know what there is. And so he's someone who, along the way that I've just known. And when I kind of got to a place three years ago where I truly kind of had really lost belief, um, I emailed him and I'm like, what is happening? Cause he came from a fundamentalist Protestant background, very similar to mine, uh, my upbringing. And, and so we dialogued and emailed back and forth and it was so helpful to sort of mitigate some of the panic because you know he helped me see that um I can panic about it but it doesn't change what's reality you know and so uh that began I think the the true journey of intentionality that I've been on of of trying to understand where I come from understand my doubt and learn to live with it compassionately um and also to pursue Jesus because I really want Jesus to be God. And I, 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 that's been the journey that I've been on for years now is staying around in the church because it's my context. It's my home. I have hope in these things. Um, I have a lot less certitude than I used to, you know, my belief is very, very small and non-arrogant at this point. <laughs> not that I'm not <laughs> arrogant, but my belief is not arrogant. And I think, um, it was such a helpful, healing process for many, many reasons. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that as we go on. Yeah. Did it feel a little risky um, and scary at, at the beginning of starting to search 
search those questions? I mean, not only is it risky for anybody who has most of their community kind of inside church world, but to be a public person of any kind and to go through a process like this can be really frightening. Um, I'd say most of the stress and anxiety I experienced during this whole last few years has been because of that dynamic, not because of the actual questions. Although some of my questions did induce panic for me, but a lot of my fear centered around what would happen if people knew that I was feeling this way, this seriously. And um, I've started to tell that story and that's helped a lot because I've realized like with most things that we think are shameful, uh, there's a lot of people out there that actually identify and relate and are going through similar things. And so it's been really cheering to kind of experience the love and compassion of other people um, as I, you know, come clean about how hard it's been. And um, yeah, that's that part is very difficult. Yeah, I, I understand. I come from a fundamental background as well. Do you feel that the hesitancy to, to be forthright and maybe more genuine or authentic about where you're at uh, kind of was hindered because of that? Yeah, I mean, I, okay, where I was raised, now this is not Christianity in general, but yeah. where I was raised, we practiced a very mm, modern form of shunning, you know? Hmm. And it was a real thing that happened to people I knew. And families would get torn apart over things, doctrinal differences, and people who left the church were viewed as, you know, apostate and mm -hmm. treated as such. And I've seen that happen. I know it happens. So yeah, I certainly feel that the fear of that inhibited me because it caused me to be uh, like reacting out of fear too much. Because uh, yeah. really conversations like this with ourselves and with God should not be based in fear but they are uh, because we don't know how else to have them. Mm. So I, as I've gone to therapy quite a bit and talked to people who are wiser than myself, I've realized that fear has no place in this conversation if I want to actually get anywhere. As you stepped out and, you know, started talking and sharing about your journey and what that looked like, was there a moment that you said, man, I, I need to translate this into this project, Evergreen. Was this something you just felt you needed to share? Like, what was that that like? Well, I make, I make albums with very conceptual process. And by what that, I mean that they always have like a beginning, middle and end before I even record them. So mm. I, this was no exception to that. I was writing with a friend his name is Brian Brown. We've written quite a lot of songs together, um, including I Shall Not Want, which is probably my most popular song, I guess. Um, and it had been years since we had written. I've known him for a long time. And, you know, I sat down with him in 2016 to kind of, I, I just really started writing songs again that have any kind of spiritual focus because I went through a, a point, you know, a phase where I just didn't have words for that. And, hmm didn't know how to talk about that. And I had kind of come not to a place of like, I understand everything now and my <laughs> questions are all at rest, but more that I, I felt way more at peace with the fact that I didn't know those things. And I felt ready to kind of write songs. And 
I didn't know about what though, you know, I just kind of knew I was ready to start. And I went and sat down with him and I had read somewhere that the Genesis account of the tree of life, the garden of Eden, uh, might have some, you know, really interesting details in the sort of Midrash traditions around the story. And for those of who might be listening and don't know what Midrash is, it's sort of, uh, it's a sort of, uh, I don't want to call it a theological tradition because it's more story oriented than that. But basically, Mm. um, common Jewish interpretations of these stories in the Old Testament that have built up over time into sort of like a, an oral collection of uh, imaginings about the details of stories that really don't tell us very much. And there's a Midrash tradition around um, the Garden of Eden that says that the tree of life was a sycamore tree, which is, as many of you will know, the the type of tree that Zacchaeus climbed to see Jesus Mm -hmm. when he couldn't see him. And so there seems like a real significance there, you know, connection. And not only is it supposedly a similar or the same tree, you know, as that story, but also a sycamore is an evergreen tree. And I always thought of the garden of Eden and the tree of life as being this like apple tree or oak tree, like a, like a, like a tree that I would know, see, you know, see in on my street. And that's how we think of things like that. But the sycamore tree is in, it's a middle Eastern tree and it's evergreen and it looks very different than the evergreens we have here. And I just was so enamored of the idea that, Mm that the tree of life would be an evergreen tree and not yeah. a tree that dies during the seasons, you know, and loses its leaves. And so I, that was all I had. And I just walked into that writing session and we wrote the song. He was going through some really similar things to myself. And so that I immediately knew was the theme of the album as soon as we were done writing it. And that it just kind of went from there. Um, as you dive into that writing and, and you know, digging into your personal experience, uh, how do you decide what to share and, and maybe even more importantly, what not to share? Well, I try to decide that way farther down the line. So okay. I just I just write what I want to write and then I edit later because I think editing while you're writing for an audience um, it's like a really fast way to make sure your songs are neutered and not, oh, not powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can always edit them after you're done. And like, it's, I think of it as a first draft. It's like writing a book, you okay. do drafts. And so I end up deciding that quite far down the line. Um, so there are songs I wrote that didn't make it to the project. And there are songs that I wrote that I certainly, you know, tweaked a little bit before I recorded them, but not yeah. a ton. I mean, I said what I, I said, mostly what I think on the yeah. album. No, that's great. And, and I'm sure there's a little bit of um, therapy to be said for just writing exactly what's in your mind and in your heart. I think speaking or writing your most frightening thoughts <laughs> uh, deflates them and kind of robs them of their power a little bit. And uh, so, yeah, I think I, I definitely apply that to songwriting. And, and it definitely comes across as I listen to the album, um, just the incredible depth. Um, and, and you're just singing draws in the listener and, uh, it's easy to probably keep yourself or, or I guess more of the question is, is it easy to keep yourself invested in the song so that no feeling or meaning is lost 
as you develop them over this process and even maybe as you perform them or start hearing them on repeat, mainly because they're your songs and your experiences? Is that easy to stay invested? Yeah, it is easy for, well, well, I don't know if easy is the right word, but it's, it's definitely possible and I do it. And I think part of the way that that works for me is that in the studio, um, which is my favorite place in the world, um, <laughs> I love producing, I love making music. Um, and I've produced the last four projects I've done either by myself or, you know, a mixture of by myself and with collaborators. And this one, I had two collaborators on two different groups of songs. And um, it was, I think the songs themselves, because I wasn't just like playing and singing them on a piano, they didn't get tired very quickly because I was experimenting so much musically around them. Um, So the the actual landscape and the sounds, uh, soundscape, I guess I should say, what became, you know, how I got to know the songs. You you sort of layer and then take away things and then try other things. And that's how you get to know what the song really is. I think Mm. for me, um, that process keeps it interesting. Where, uh, I mean, you mentioned having the evergreen inspiration um, with some of the sounds that you actually decided to inject into this album. Where did you find some of those inspirations? So glad you asked. Um, <laughs> people so rarely ask me musical questions and it's kind of sad because I, I mean, really, I'm a musician, not just a yeah. songwriter. Um, so I always love talking about it. I, so I did quite a lot of the programming work on this record as far as keys sounds and some drum stuff too, but mostly keys work. And a lot of what we used was inspired by uh, some 70s music that I love. So I recorded quite a lot of Mellotron and um, sampled a lot of Mellotron too. Okay. So I played a Mellotron instrument on like maybe six of the songs and then there's Mellotron samples all over almost everything <laughs> in some place or another. <laughs> um I just fell in love with the instrument a while back and was like, I'm going to play the crap out of this the next time I have a chance. (laughs) And then there was a few sample packs I had bought uh, while I was in Ireland um, last summer, just traveling and playing shows. And um, I love Irish music. Celtic music is a huge influence on me. And um, so like, for example, on Wounded Healer, which is the ninth song on the record, um, is also the, the latest song that I wrote for. I wrote it maybe a week before I went in to the studio and um the 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 feel of the song and the the sort of hook in the opening you know bars is very Celtic but the rest the instrumentation is very non-Celtic and that was kind of an intentional move and I challenged myself to sort of dig through these sample packs from Output which I bought like their entire library because sometimes that's how I do stuff I'm like ooh, I like this I'll buy everything um (laughs) So I just dug through all of their stuff. They have a strings engine and a choral engine that I used a lot. Um, And it's like my favorite thing. I love tinkering. So I would just build samples for hours if I was allowed to do that and could make money doing that, but (laughs) I can't. (laughs) So, um, So yeah, it was, you know, there's some Celtic influences. There is definitely a lot of 70s music influence sonically just in terms of the Mellotron, even though the songs don't sound 70s at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of went with what had my interest the last couple of years and, and 
and really dug in, dove deep into those things to try yeah. to master them a little bit. And it, I, it was really fun. It was really fun. Yeah. No, that's, that's always great to see how different passions like that can coincide as you're trying to tell a story as well. Um, so how do you get to a point where you know that the song or the album is where you want it to be? I'm forgetting who said this, that great art is never finished, but abandoned. Um, I never feel like it's done. And honestly, when it was over, I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. I, I just know when I'm spent. So I'm like, I have nothing left here and I've done everything I can do, I think. And I was also really, really, really super pregnant when I finished it. (laughs) So (laughs) there was really nowhere else to go, but stop. And I, unless I wanted to wait to release it even later and I didn't want to. So that was kind of like a deadline that I just, I worked right up until I was almost ready to deliver the baby and that was it. (laughs) And so, but I do think I got to a place where I felt like, I had really exhaled uh, mm. as spiritually and emotionally and musically, and that's all I could really go by. So, To find out more about Audrey and to read our cover time interview with her, visit the podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com. Welcome to Reply All, where each week we pose a question and give you the chance to answer online in our Creative Talks group. Uh, last week we asked you, or excuse me, two weeks ago we asked you because we skipped last yeah. week. Um, where do you draw the line with Oreo flavors? What mm-hmm. Oreo flavor would be an absolute no for no. you? So, so here's my idea that I want to pitch you, Emily. I have an oh, idea. No. Okay, so pita chip cracker with hummus inside. So, so awesome. pita chip Oreo, and hummus. <laughs> that the Oreo really is good. actually a pita chip. Yeah, so the actual cracker would yeah. be the pita chip, and then the inside, the cream, would be the hummus. That would be so good. See, there you go. I feel like that's something Ritz should tackle, though. Or is Ritz and Nabisco, are they owned by the same company? Yeah, probably. We're really just feeding them a lot of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we really, really should be on their creative team department. Yeah, um, I'm just saying. We got a ton of feedback on this one. Uh, here are a few of our favorites in no particular order or reading. Sarah draws the line at cookies and cream Oreos because it's an unnecessary cannibalization. I don't get that. Come on, Because Sarah. cookies and cream is usually Oreos crunched up into something. So she's saying it's like in the inception of the cookie uh, yeah, of the Oreo. it's an Oreoception. Yeah. Mm. It, it might be too much. It might be too much. Mm, Sarah. It might out. blow some people's mind. Yeah. Okay, so Andre and I can't be friends. Obviously, <laughs> I like how we're we're making rash judgments about people from Just their one sentence statements about their character. Awesome. Okay, based on their but Oreo here's the deal. So, yeah, Andre basically said, and I quote: "This is not Emily's words, y'all. This is Andre. Peep flavored is a disgrace to humanity." Oh gosh, I know. I actually oh. hopped on uh, the Facebook page and dialogued with Andre a little bit, <laughs> and let's just say Talk through the situation. Yeah, we're going to agree to disagree. Because if that's okay. a hill that Emily Cummins will die on, it's yes. peep-flavored Oreos. Peep mm. it, yes. They, I just need to go buy some more right now. Um, Chris <laughs> Chris said pickles. Just that's pickles. It. That's the only context we that's have. That's the only context. Draw the line at pickle Oreos. I'd try it. <laughs> <laughs> of course uh, you would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul says he's reached the age where Oreos are way too sweet. Um, he's about to be 33, still very young, he knows, but can only do about three of them before he's grossed out. Prior to this, Red Velvet was his crack. 
Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm 35 and I can still do a whole sleeve of Oreos, so I don't know what his problem is. Yeah, I the, feel sad for Paul. Sweetness, <laughs> yeah, let's sweetness just let's just offer our condolences to ago. Paul. Ugh. And you're like 10 years younger than me, Nick. Come on, I know. Now. I, Keep up. I'm Come on, hungry. Nick. I just don't like sweet things. I'm eating vanilla ice cream now and uh, and Jello. A salting yeah. cracker is too sweet. A salting for cracker. Nick. I'm like, oh. that, I'm tapping out. I'm tapping out. <laughs> Dessert. Would you like? Would you guys like to get some dessert? Maybe a celery stick. Uh. <laughs> okay, this episode went to depressing real fast. Just saying. So to make it more depressing, Zach says, and I quote: "The line for me, Zach, exists at the seal of the package, the original flavor, and all subsequent attempts at fabricating palatability. That word, palatability. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Are an absolute no, because Oreos are." gross zach oh we are not friends he must get blocked by a lot of people based on that opinion alone starting with oreo a lot of oreo fans he gets blocked by um (laughs) he's living in his own little bubble of Mm non-oreo people oh uh this week like we said it's a little bit different therefore we're not going to have a reply all question uh, as per literally recording the next episode here in just a few minutes and uh we haven't had time we don't have time to get your answers so uh, on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. There are a few great ways you can share your appreciation for the Creative Church Podcast. First, subscribe and add us to your favorite podcatcher. And you can check out all of our web episodes online at creativechurch.com. You can also review this podcast and show us some rating star love on iTunes so we can get more exposure and the more people that find us can find out the proper back-catching technique. <laughs> <laughs> and how to have really loud audio in the first half of your show and have really quiet audio in the second half of your show because you stopped recording midway through. Lastly, consider sharing this episode on social media, and you can find us by searching our handle. At, uh, uh, you can find us by searching our handle, Creative Church. That's one word: CRTV Church. Special thanks to Audrey for joining us today. You can check out all that she's doing by heading over to our podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. Also, thanks to Visual Media Church for sponsoring today's show. Do us a big favor and go check them out and snag twenty percent off whenever you use offer code Creative Church. That's one word, all caps: CRTV Church. In the meantime, I'm Nick Gunner. I'm Emily Cummins. And I'm Batman. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you next episode. All right, let's roll into the next one. listening to this week's episode of the creative church podcast for more information visit us at creativechurch.com that's crtvchurch.com also check us out on twitter instagram and facebook at creative church 